Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. How's the sound back there? Good. Good. Um, as I begin, I'd just like to thank everyone for this opportunity of sitting here and sharing the Dharma with you. And I would uh, especially like to thank my teacher, Galen Roshi. Anybody here for the first time today? First time? Great. Welcome. Thanks for coming out. Very brave. <laughs> um, I'll just say that um, the purpose of this talk is really just to share my practice with you and um, to encourage your practice. And um, as uh, Roshi Burning Glassman was known to say, and to quote uh, Jeffrey the Dude Lebowski, this is like just my opinion, man. <laughs> so, so take from it what's, what's useful for you, and don't worry about the rest. So I was really excited to have the opportunity to speak to you on the 4th of July Independence Day holiday weekend. I don't know why, but it just seemed like, like this auspicious time. And I guess because our practice is about finding and practicing freedom. And despite the very complicated history of our country, that is the thing that I think we aspire to do uh, and, and to remember on this annual holiday is to think about what freedom means. It's, there's a story about July 4th and Independence Day. And then we, there are stories about those stories. Uh, but first I'm gonna jump back in time a little bit. <coughs> I'm gonna jump back in time a little bit to about uh, Circa 835 <laughs> in uh, China. And I'm going to start with uh, a story uh, from the Blue Cliff Record. And this is a collection of teaching stories, um, some of the oldest in uh, Zen Buddhism. And this one is the 55th case, and it's called Dawu's Condolence Call. And um, I'm actually going to read it to you kind of in parts, so I'm only going to read the first part first, and I'll come back to the rest of it later. So here's the main case. Dawu and Chen Wan went to a house to make a condolence call. Wan hit the coffin and said, and said, alive or dead? 
Wu said, I won't say alive and I won't say dead. Yuan said, why won't you say? Wu said, I won't say. <laughs> Halfway back, as they were returning, Yuan said, tell me right away, teacher. If you don't tell me, I'll hit you. <laughs> Wu said, you may hit me, but I won't say. Yuan then hit him. <laughs> That's the first part of that story. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting to me to start off and this just to kind of fertilize some of these seeds here in, in these old stories, um, if, uh, you know, Dao Wu was, uh, a, a pretty well-known, um, accomplished teacher and there are many stories featuring him. And I'm not as familiar with the other person, but if, if the person is referred to as a monk or a person, and they're not named in one of these stories, usually it's because, you know, in the, in the story, somehow they miss the mark or they're missing the mark. Uh, but when their name is given, then usually it's sort of significant in the sense that, um, you know, they were kind of onto something. Um, but I'm going to come back to the rest of that story a little later. I'm not, <coughs> excuse me. I'm going to zoom forward a little bit um, to about 1948. And uh, that was when. My father, Stuart Becker, was uh, born into this world in Mineola, New York. And then uh, in March of 1997, I appeared in something like this form. And um, to me, my father was a very uh, significant figure, I, I think. Probably everyone's parents are significant to them. Um, in the earlier part of my life, I think he was significant because he loomed very large um, in my life. He was uh, very loving and generous man, but he could also be kind of terrifying at times. And I don't know if anybody else here has ever had sort of a... a, a father that inspired you know fear or uh kind of like an old testament god you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, it may have just been my my sensitive nature as a child but um when you know when he yelled which was occasionally you know it was it was like he roared um and uh, I was a pretty well-behaved kid. I never had to get a whole lot of spankings or whatnot. Um, but I, I recall sort of living in a certain dread of uh, if he would be in a bad mood or, or I'd done something wrong or disappointed him some way. And... Um, 
And that, that's just one aspect. <clears throat> so we zoom forward again to December 1996. Um, my father, uh, who was always full of, uh, very vivacious and full of bluster, um, sat me down. I want to say it was in our kitchen at the time and uh, confessed to me that for some number of years, he had um, been, been dealing with a uh, substance abuse problem. Uh, he had been or become addicted to cocaine um, he had been um, uh, committing marital transgressions that way, uh, and um, <clears throat> kind of on the point for me, he had spent all of the money that he and my stepmother had borrowed for my college funding. Um, just uh, on, on drugs and alcohol and, and whatnot. Um, spoiler alert, it works out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for other, other ways, but, but that was um, an interesting moment. And actually in the, about the, this was a winter break from school and, um, or the, succeeding days, I remember being in uh, the car with him. And all of a sudden, I was riding in a car next to a human being. Somehow, um, getting a glimpse of this person's weaknesses and shortcomings um, peeled back a little bit of what I then or now realized was a story that I had. That's not to say that he hadn't ever yelled and screamed or lost his temper or um, been problematic, but also, you know, he wasn't that all the time. And, and so um, that was an interesting little awakening. I'm sure a lot of people uh, have that experience, some, some form of that experience with their parents in their lifetime. <clears throat> but that for me was definitely a moment of liberation, uh, a certain kind of liberation. Uh, skip forward. Now about four months, it's April 5th, 1997. It was um, a beautiful spring day in Middletown, Connecticut, where I was at school. Um, and lucky for me, this was the era still before cell phones. So I, I get to remember um, what, what a really enjoyable day it was. I, I, it may have been a Saturday. I was in college almost every day is Saturday in college. 
Um, I remember being outside and there was a, there's a hill that sort of overlooks a large field of where a lot of the students hang out. And I just remember it being sort of blue skies and white puffy clouds and uh, a really good day. And when I got back to my dorm room, I had a number of um, uh, phone messages on my voicemail. And um, it turned out that various members of my family had been urgently trying to get a hold of me to let me know that my father had died. I had um, some very good friends who drove me home and it was several days later uh, when I saw my father's lifeless body in uh, a casket in the funeral home. And it was uh, remarkable. So now uh, let me flash back again to China, ninth century. Um, I don't know. I think the story is older than that, but this is um, where this, the story originates called Seven Wise Women in the Charnel Ground. <coughs> so seven wise sisters planned a spring journey. One of them said, sisters, instead of going to a park to enjoy the spring flowers, let's go together to see the charnel grounds. <laughs> Natch. Uh, for those those who don't know, the charnel grounds uh, back in the day were where uh, you know communities disposed of bodies. So you took the bodies out there and maybe put them on a funeral pyre and, and burned them, and all the remains would be out there, and you know the leftovers and nature would come and, and clean up um, and. The, the putrefying bodies. So sure, yeah, of course. <laughs> the other said, that place is full of decaying corpses. What is such a place good for? And the first woman replied, let's just go. Very good things are there. When they arrived, one of them pointed to a corpse and said, there is a person's body. Where has the person gone? What? Another said, what did you say? And all seven sisters were immediately enlightened. And I, I would suggest to you um, that enlightened is a, a bit of a loaded word, but I, I, would, I think it's worth thinking about what that means in the context. Indra, Lord of the gods, was so moved by their awakening and showered flowers down onto them. He offered them whatever they needed for the rest of their lives. One of the sisters replied, we have everything we need, but please give us a tree without roots, some land without light or shade, and a mountain valley where a shout does not echo. Ask anything else, holy ladies, replied Indra, and I will gladly provide it, but I don't have those things to give you. If you don't have them, said the woman, how can you help others liberate themselves? At this, Indra took the sisters to visit the Buddha. When the Buddha learned why they had come, he said, as far as that's concerned, Indra, 
None of the Arhants has the slightest clue, clue either. Only great bodhisattvas understand this matter. <laughs> and and that was uh, part of that was such a moment for me in 1997. Where is the person gone? Where's the person gone? In July 1776, the uh, founders of this nation produced a document, and I. It's interesting to me for two reasons. One is it's July Fourth holiday weekend, and sort of it's apropos. Um, but I, I read through this document, the Declaration of Independence, and I thought I would share some of it with you in light of the fact that we're talking about stories and liberation. Um, I'm going to skip over sort of the, the beginning parts, which I think a lot of people are more familiar with. Um, this is the declaration of you know, dissolved political bands, which have connected them with one another and all men are created equal and et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> but then, you know, they say, you know, if we're going to, it's not, you know, it's, it's kind of a big deal to dissolve your bands with the political, you know, the governing political body that at the time, and you should give reasons why. And then they list a number of their reasons. Uh, regarding um, the King of Great Britain, King George. And um, some of the things that they say is, he has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. As he has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. Um, uh, he has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. Um, a, lot, a lot of stuff. Um, interestingly, uh, to me, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, taxes was only one of the lines. Um, but a, a lot of it, it occurs to me, and it's a, it's a relatively short read, even in its entirety. I, I, I encourage you to look it up sometime. Just Google Declaration of Independence. It's there from the National Archives. But what was interesting to me was that um, the big beef, which the colonists alleged, was that King George was not enabling good governance to happen. And, and that's, um, that's one of my favorite little things. Um, 
as I think many of you know, I'm a police officer. I'm a commander for the Houston Police Department. And, um, you know, in short, what is that about? Well, the motto of Houston Police Department, the first part of the motto is order through law. And, and our job is to you know, maintain and produce public order by the enforcement, in our case, of, of criminal laws. And, and what are laws? You know, they're, they're agreements, right? They're, we, we publish them and, and they're documents. And, you know, and, and what is that agreement? It, it's a story of a kind about how we're going to relate to each other and, and what happens if, if we don't relate to each other. So, so it was interesting to me that, you know, what, one of the big uh, issues that the colonists put before King George was, um, you know, it's like chaos, man. And, and this is your job and you're not doing your job. And part of your job is to say, this is the law, right? I agree with this law and, and, and a number of other things. Okay, so let's, let's skip back to ancient China and for part two of this story. Um, and so I'll, I'll refresh. Um, last time in ancient China, Tao Wu and Chen Chin Wan had gone to a house to make a condolence call. Wan hit the coffin and said, alive or dead? Wu said, I won't say alive and I won't say dead. Wan said, why won't you say? And Wu said, I won't say. Halfway back, as they were returning, Wan said, tell me right away, teacher. If you don't tell me, I'll hit you. Wu said, you may hit me, but I won't say. And Wan then hit him. Later, uh, Tao Wu passed on. So now we're, we're actually probably, probably about 30 years later. And uh, Dao Wu has, has passed on and his student Yuan went to visit Shi Shuang, another teacher, another venerable teacher, and brought up the foregoing story. He told him what happened. And Shuang said, I won't say alive and I won't say dead. Juan said, why won't you say? Shuang said, I won't say, I won't say. At these words, Juan had an insight. Um, there, there's more to the story, but, but that's kind of the meat of it. And, and I'm a little unqualified to comment on the rest of it, so I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> A little bit earlier, circa 2500 BC, uh, the Buddha is said to have uh, stated upon awakening, upon being liberated from a number of stories, I wandered through the rounds of countless births, seeking but not finding the builder of this house. Sorrowful indeed is birth again and again. 
Oh, house builder, you have now been seen. You shall build this house no longer. All your rafters have been broken, your rich pole shattered. My mind has attained to unconditioned freedom. Achieved is the end of craving. Uh, that is, is excerpted from the Dhammapada, which is a little short, like kind of quick and dirty cliffs notes to some of what the Buddha said. Uh, he taught for about 40 years, and there are volumes of the things that he said, and then, of course, volumes by volumes of things that people said about what he said. But even he experienced believing stories and being liberated from them. One last quote uh, from the Buddha, uh, from the Anguttara Nikaya, the Book of Eights. Uh, a lot of <laughs> a lot of what the Buddha said has been categorized into various. Uh, types of sayings, the, the long discourses, the middle-length discourses, the short-length discourses. And, um, and this is from the Book of Eights, i.e. things that he said that had to do with eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will confess, one of my favorite quotes is that Christians love Jesus and Buddhists love lists. <laughs> but that was how they remembered this back in, you know, pre, pre-writing. It was, it was oral tradition. So, you, you know. anyways, this is just one little excerpt from uh, the Paharada Sutta. And uh, you, you've probably seen it somewhere on Instagram, maybe. <laughs> the ocean has just one taste, the taste of salt. In the same way, this teaching and training has one taste, the taste of freedom. I'm going to close uh, with one last set of instructions, which we chanted earlier today. The Sandokai, the harmony of difference and equality, or difference and sameness. The mind of the great sage of India is intimately transmitted from west to east. While human faculties are sharp or dull, the way has no northern or southern ancestors. The spiritual source shines clear in the light. The branching streams flow on in the dark. Grasping at things is surely delusion. According with sameness is still not enlightenment. All the objects of the senses interact and yet do not. Interacting brings involvement, otherwise each keeps its place. Sights vary in quality and form, sounds differ as pleasing or harsh. Refined and common speech come together in the dark, clear and murky phrases are distinguished in the light. The four elements return to their natures just as a child turns to its mother. Fire heats, wind moves, water wets, earth is solid. 
eye and sight, ear and sounds, nose and smells, tongue and taste. Thus, with each and everything, depending on these roots, the leaves spread forth. Trunk and branches share the essence revered in common. Each has its speech. In the light, there is darkness, but don't take it as darkness. In the dark, there is light, but don't see it as light. Light and dark oppose one another like the front and back foot in walking. Each of the myriad things has its merit expressed according to function and place. Phenomena exist, box and lid fit. Principle responds, arrow points meet. Hearing the words, understand the meaning. Don't set up standards of your own. If you don't understand the way right before you, how will you know the path as you walk? Progress is not a matter of far or near, but if you're confused, mountains and rivers block your way. I respectfully urge you who study the mystery, do not pass your days and nights in vain.